It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here at the end of the year with my partner in feminism, Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Nancy Red, author of multiple award-winning books on air, host, Thank you so much for being here today to talk about The Real Santa, which is your new book. And I love it. Merry Christmas. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Hello. (laughs) I love it so much. I I mean, I grew up with a black Santa Claus in my house. So I love this so, so much because my mom and I grew up in like an all white town and on our door, this is a true story. She had like a poster of the black Santa. And it was like the, on our door for Christmas, that was like the decoration. So you just don't know how many people would come to the door and be like, do you guys know? And she'd be like, yes, I'm aware. We have a black Santa. Yes, we have a black Wait, Santa. Wait, they would ask you, did they think he was robbing the house? Sales, like, like some sales like, bank you, person came and put in your all white like neighborhood, like a black they, Santa as a statement? Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. So I appreciate this book because yes, finding the black Santa is so important. Is that why you did that? Is that why you wanted to write this? Well, I wanted to write the book because having kids changes your perspective and it makes you see the holes in when you're fortunate enough to have an intersectional education, right? And you see where the gaps are. And when you're also fortunate like us to have the ability to create media, that is what you wish to see in the world. Your focus kind of changes, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I want to create content using the little power I have that I've been lucky to be afforded to create media that will create lasting change in our society about shame and guilt of the underserved, right? So my first children's book, Bedtime Bonnet, was about eradicating the shame about our nighttime hair rituals because um, whenever you hear Bonnet in the news, it's some kind of shenanigans. And I wanted there to be a positive reinforcement of the fact that you want your hair laid, your edges laid, you need to wear something to bed at night if you have curly hair for the most part. So the real Santa was when my publisher asked me, what do you want your next book to be? And I, I couldn't believe I finally got to actually kind of cherry pick So I wrote two words and I wrote Black Santa. (laughs) And my editor, bless her, Sarah Sargent, literally responded, F yeah. Yeah, yes. (laughs) She she knew where I was coming from. I I had a much more eloquent reasoning and pictures. Um, Many of the pictures that that I sent to pitch the book, you can see on my Instagram. Uh, and, um, And what was interesting is just like with the bonnet, if you don't know, you don't know. Like Zerlina, yeah. you know, Jess, what is your experience with the Santa conundrum? Have you any? Do I have any? I mean, honestly, until Megan Kelly, I didn't realize <laughs> that, we were, that we were still having this conversation. Like we, <laughs> we always, I, okay. Do you know the song Santa Claus is a black man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually just got reached out to by the, by the daughter of the writer of that. I yeah. love it. I, I love, it. love this song. This, this song so is fun. my favorite Christmas song. And I think it made me think about the Black Santa because I just thought it was stupid. It was like, this is this is white people being like peak white people. Like, why are you, this is not a real, like this is, 
It's Santa Claus. He could be purple. It doesn't matter. Why would you care? And then I'm, I'm thinking about the song, which I listen to every year. I love the song. And I'm like, oh, right. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus is this whole thing about how your dad could look like Santa. Like the Santa dad conundrum is a big one. And if Santa's always white, then white kids get to see their dads as Santa, but not nobody else does. And of course, the song Santa Claus is a Black Man, which everybody like go Spotify right now. It's just joyful, is of course about a kid seeing his mom kissing Santa Claus. And instead of thinking, oh, my mom's cheating on my dad, like the white kid in the song, he thinks, oh, my God, Santa Claus is black and he looks like my dad. How cool is that? And it just kind of made me think about the whole thing a little bit differently. Cause like that really brings it home. That's not just about like, what color do we color our fairy tales? That's like, who's our patriarch? Who's our, you know, who gets to own that space in your imagination? And, and it, that sort of changed my, my thinking on the whole Santa Claus conundrum. But like, of course, like I want a black Santa up in my house but I feel like that would be appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I think we've gone this year from a Santa Claus conundrum to a, a Santa Bonanza. I have never seen this. It, it, it's, it's a zeitgeist. And I'm so grateful that the real Santa is part of it, right? Because um, it's like with anything, when you have moments in life, there are people who get to participate and create the future they want to see. And the real Santa is actually part this year of um, not just so many picture books that are being uh, written this year and published this year that feature a, a black or other or non-white Santa, let's say, um, but also, I mean, Reese's, Reese's peanut butter cups. I've never seen anything like this because I would, there were just years, I just wouldn't buy specific Christmas candy because it was just a, a, like a, a Santa that didn't represent the Santa in my house. And I didn't want questions because my little children were very fragile. Like, <laughs> Um, but now, I mean, everybody is like diverse Santa, not just the incredible independent creators that have always been holding it down for those of us who are um, looking for diverse Santas. And I always say, go to independent creators first for your diverse Christmas needs, because they're the ones doing it and they do it with love and for the, the right reasons. But once the commercial dollars started getting a whiff, I mean, Pottery Barn has Black Santa's collection. You, I mean, Dollar Tree is Black Santa collection. Kirkland's everywhere. I've never seen anything like this. It's Black Santa Bonanza. It's so, so funny you, though because we're so we're like only a couple of years removed from the Megyn Kelly moment, which I feel like was a moment because I remember going on Fox like, and we were talking about that. Like I, th I feel like I talked, like I debated it. I was like, Santa is not a person like he doesn't have to be white in fact I in fact like I grew up with a black Santa Megan and she was like what <laughs> um but I feel like it until you until you see yourself reflected you don't realize how much you missed it and I feel like it, it, it was important to me to have that in my house growing up I mean how did your kids react um to this idea I mean when you first introduced them to a Santa Claus that looked like them well, I am fortunate, as we can see, I'm in my mom's house now. We're in Virginia for the holidays. So. Oh, wait, I, I'm not going to say like, we're in Virginia. I'm in Virginia too. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm in Martinsville, Virginia, which is where I'm from. Um, NASCAR I don't country. Say where, oh, yeah. I, I know uh, where that is. You don't have I'm to say where you're say from. Exactly but you, know, where am, you know where Martinsville yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows where I'm from, so I, it's totally fine. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky and I actually wrote about it for the New York Times this week in uh, my piece, In Search of Black Santa, about how my mom was a first grade school teacher. So she was very crafty. So my entire life was, was all holiday decorations that looked like us. 
And whether it was a Cupid that she colored in with brown ink, because I mean, that's actually still one of the last bastions in the diversity and merchandising holdout. I want to see what happens this year with, with Valentine's Day. If there are any diverse Cupids and not just black people, by the way, this is something that is an issue for everyone. Um, my hill to die on is black stuff, but everyone else, we're all fighting for our own representation, right? And we're all working together because the more the merrier in this case, pun intended because it's Christmas. Um, but for my children, they don't, they've always just been like, oh, okay. I just let them, I put the power in their mind and they always have known that all of this is a caricature representation of the, I like to call them the North Pole's Banksy. Because <laughs> no one has seen them. The, most, the world's most elusive icon, even <laughs> more so than, than um, you know, a lot of our famous celebrities who go in hiding, because uh, no one's ever seen them. So when you put the onus on the child to decide for themselves what, the, what Santa could look like, it just takes the drama out of it. Because again, why do we care? Why can't, right. why can't we have multiple options? It's like, I, I also say, it's like being upset that someone's drawn a unicorn differently than you. Um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's like, okay, can I have, a, can I just have a unicorn with two horns? Why not? You know, like, well, I guess then it wouldn't be a unicorn. But no, that's I digress, silly. you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. It's can't not real. It's... Wings? That's not how unicorns work. <laughs> no, obviously. <laughs> okay. Again, actually, that is the Pegasus. But we must remember, <laughs> and I think what a lot of people don't, <laughs> I think what a lot of people don't know is the fact that the what we Santa used to have multiple iterations. There was a creepy Santa. There was a thin Santa. There was an evil Santa. Um, uh, still in different countries, there are different versions of Santa, and then um, it was popularized by coca-cola with to sell soda it was a brilliant um trajectory because the red matches the red and he was jolly and it's very exciting and we just rolled with that and it's great it's a perfectly adequate descriptor of what he mm -hmm. could possibly look like i just think there's more just like there's every there, there are different brands that have an orange as their logo their oranges look different and our santas look different it just, it feels, it, so it, it feels like the, the, if I, if I hear a good faith argument for a monotheistic Santa culture, it is usually that it's easier to trick kids that way. If he always looks the same, then that is the person and that's it. But, but kids are really, really good at yeah. logic. Like your Santa can, can, the Santa cannot both be at my mall and in this commercial at the same time. And I like the Santa cannot both look like this Dutch version that I see in the school book in school and the Coca-Cola version and the one at my grandma's that looks kind of weird and skinny with like a long skinny beard. Like those aren't the same person. So as parents, you got to come up with explanation. My mom always told me that everybody was an emissary. Like she, I don't think she ever did the <laughs> like nobody's seen the real Santa thing, which is brilliant. And I love it. And I will steal it if it ever comes up to that. But like, it was like every mall Santa was an emissary of the real Santa. So they weren't the real Santa, but they were working for him. And that That's was how smart. she got around the fact that they all looked different. And it's like, okay, my mom was not thinking about how to help her white kid navigate a world of diverse Santas when she came up with that. She was trying to help her precocious six-year-old figure out how to still enjoy Christmas for the next few years. Like, Aren't you, when I think when you say precocious, what, to explain it to kids? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I put in the category of if you spank your kids, then they're better behave. No, they just learn how to shut down critical thinking or their opinions. 
so you can totally tell your kid that like uh this is what sand looks like and it's all over however they are aware they will then just start to think maybe you aren't the smartest (laughs) and the resentment builds and i just prefer for my children to have respect for me and us to have open candid conversations so that when real issues that aren't santa come up they have critical thinking skills and they also have trust in me as a confidant that is, is uh, intelligent. So for me, putting, I always like to put it back, whether it is on anything, like how would that make you feel if you, mm-hmm. you pulled someone's pigtail or how would that make you feel? Like, what do you think? I think that the, the, the back and forth, what do you think um, is very beneficial to get out of almost any conundrum, whether it's the Santa Claus one or others. I love that. Right. Well, I always look at it like parents are human beings. So like it's sort of an exchange of information with your children. I don't have children, but I imagine if I did, you know, it's especially looking at my own parents, you know, you get to a certain age and you realize they did not know everything. and so if you can exchange Tend information, to know. you might we have a phrase. Sorry, we have a phrase in my house, but it's related to that. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's doing their best. We're all doing the yes. best we can. Because yes. if you don't, you set yourself up, Zerlina, to just be this infallible nightmare that thought they knew everything. And then they're not trustworthy. Do you know what I mean? Like you have right. to have a back and forth. Like my generation of kids was do as you're told. But not this yep. generation. They're okay nope. with change. They're more flexible. They're flexible with everything. And you have to be flexible because if you don't bend, you break. It's true. What, what it's kinds true. of, do you, do you talk about the kinds of conversations that they have with their friends? Like with, the, like with their diverse group of friends, do they ever get questions about why they're coming to school with stuff with a black Santa on it? Like, does that come up in that generation or are they just way past this? Well, in the, in the first iteration of The Real Fan when I was writing it, because as early I'm sure both of you can attest being writing, writing brings up so many of our own emotions, you know, like, it, like it just, it's like, honestly, anyone who ever wants to write a book, it's like therapy. Okay? Yeah. It's like a page therapy. It's like a forced diary of all of your feelings. So at first, the first iterations were upset. They were just like, why does my Santa not look like the mall Santa? Like, like, what's happening here? Why can't my Santa be on TV? Um, But then I was fortunate. My editor reminded me, she's like, kids are not upset yet. You don't get upset (laughs) till you're old. (laughs) We're reaching children before, we're reaching the new puppies that are still being trained to be critical thinkers. So let's let's approach that with that in mind. So, and then it reminded me Children, for the most part, especially children who are reading picture books, because the real Santa is really for ages, you know, two to eight. So you're very young. You're not yet even at the sleepover stage. You're just really in your nuclear family with your kids and your cousins and and your schoolmates. Um, So there's not as much drama as with older children. So we focused on the real Santa and just what's happening in their own household and the types of Santas in their own house and of the different looking Santas who all happen to be black in their household, which one was the real Santa? And in that way, you contextualize the argument and the concern in a safe and secure way for the individual. But at the end, it leaves open for any audience reading to realize that, oh wait, it's up to me to decide what this jolly icon looks like. Uh, So that really reflects my household and like the type of conversations we have and how I approach anything with them. And for parents who are worried about, well, I mean, for we, we've been on the street for so long, like we've just been with white Santa, how are we going to, how are we going to change? I like to say, you know what? Pluto was a planet. 
how, we just navigated that change, didn't we? You know, like, I, you know, we, we, if you can navigate Pluto not being a planet anymore, which was devastating in my household. I'm still actually still real upset about that. I'm <laughs> actually a little still a little mad. Guy. Yeah, I know. I feel that. I don't bring it up. Spinning out there by himself. I know. Exactly. Pluto deserves better. But at some point, we had to recognize we're not perfect. Same with the Santa conversation or any conversation, whether it is being accepting of differences in society and other ways, too. We're not perfect. Life is evolving. Everything is changing. The more fluid and flexible you can create um, in your environment, the healthier your family will be. Man, when I think about all the iterations that Santa has had to go through in my life even the fact that this one is somehow insurmountable or especially challenging is just extra like I'm when my parents got divorced it was like well which how will Santa know which house I don't remember what they told me but they told me something when we moved into our first apartment it was well we don't have a chimney how is this going to work is he Mm -hmm. in with the doorman I don't remember what they told me but they told me something Like we are constantly making Santa flexible enough to fit whatever circumstances exist in our lives. This one is too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would like to say, I think the tables are turning. I think this is probably the last year we're going to have this type of conversation. I'm hoping yeah, because I think what has happened is the pipeline of open-minded people. We've gotten enough people at the top of the decision-making chain. Um, and to recognize, again, of course, because so much of this flows down to money, right? And the commercialization and the profitability of diversity. I think moving forward, that Santa will be a more inclusive and open-minded icon um, in society. And I, I, don't, I don't hope to be proven wrong. I hope to, that the conversations around the real Santa and all of this very unique diversity in Christmas that we're having this year ends up being a stale and stagnant conversation in the future yeah. because oh my gosh you, you won just move on and then we can move on to larger issues <laughs> no no well it's it starts with like those the the cultural cues i feel like the the cultural cues are where we start to change the other stuff um in the pandemic i feel like you were talking about sort of creating tranquility in your household and one of the things in pandemic that i think a lot about is that that is the goal every day is to sort of just keep the peace. I gave everyone a little bit of grace. We're all living through a pandemic. We've never done this before. No one's ever done this before. Literally no one except for that one lady and she passed away RIP. Um, she's the only one that was here for the other pandemic. Um, how have you been now? No, and for people a- who don't listen, you're talking about the lady who survived the Spanish flu. Right, Spanish she survived flu. everything. And then eventually after like wave eight, of whatever right. this has been. Right, right, right. Finally she survived for got like the COVID. whole first year. The she whole she made it so long. Yeah. We thought she was going to be our new president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I mean, I, I cited her always. Um, yep. I was like, no one's ever done it except for the one woman. <laughs> um, but how have you navigated that as a parent? Because, I mean, you it, your um, work is created and trying to create conversations among your kids, you know, like help them, as you said, grow up with critical thinking skills. I feel like that's lacking in adults nowadays. How are you, um, how are you making that work as a parent? How are you um, developing those critical thinking skills in this pandemic context? Cause that- I feel very fortunate a lot, even for me. A, <laughs> it's a lot. And I feel very fortunate yeah. to have a very supportive husband 
and um, who began the game, he sussed this whole thing out from the get go. Like we we were just getting our we were getting our life back. We were having a great time because our our children were in school. We just moved, and um, we were really enjoying who we were becoming as parents of children who could wipe their behinds. Because I feel like that's the shift no one talks about. Once the kid starts like wiping their butt, and you no longer have to deal with their toileting, you can think again. So we were about to just <laughs> let it let it go, live our best life, and the pandemic hit. And my husband looks and he says, you know what? I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. So what we need to do is we need to set rules and boundaries from the get go. So we became teetotalers. We stopped ordering food in because we knew that we were going to be crutch. Also, there's nothing worse than like Lysol pizza. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we just learned how to make our own pizza. Um, we got rid of all vices. And at first it was, he quit caffeine. I could not do that. But at first it was really difficult. But then when you don't have a crutch to lean on and you have to face the reality that you are in four walls with two children and you are lucky to have a partner that is supportive and sane to do it with. I actually have enjoyed this period of time because I got to instill all of the values in my children that I had not had time to do because we were busy. So a lot of undoing of issues I wasn't comfortable with happened a lot of unraveling and a lot of bonding happened but again this is a point of privilege this is a point of ability we I had a I had a helpful partner neither of us had to work outside the home and it's difficult to say well everyone should do that because you have a higher what is Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know what I mean mm-hmm. like yeah food and shelter number one and if you can't do that the other stuff is almost impossible because if I had had to be concerned about either of those things, my yeah. whole like, oh, we just bonded and made pizza. Like, <laughs> that's that's moot. Right. So what, what is this Christmas? It, I mean, it is. And that's like sort of, I hadn't thought about the like, I had thought about how, what it felt to be outside of the male gaze or Lena and I talked a lot about like what it felt like to not have to commute through the microaggression of racism all the time. I hadn't thought about it from a parent perspective that like you got a solid 18 months to undo some stuff. Like the world had been working on them for a while and you got to be like, what did the world build for you? I'm not sure about that. (laughs) And especially my daughter is like a little mini me. She's very outgoing. She's totally ridiculous. Um, Precocious is that bandied about word. I find that children who are precocious have parents who have encouraged the precocious. I've seen so many children in these streets would be precocious if somebody could fool with them 24 seven, you know? But um, I remember right before the pandemic, she had a first talent show and she had played piano. She was, you know, living her little best life with her little Mary had a little layup. She was in kindergarten, it wasn't that serious. <laughs> and her, her little bestie, bless the child's soul. Like the next day, my daughter comes home from tears and her, and she was like, you know, my bestie said that I was annoying. And I just, I was just like, listen, I'm gonna tell you, she's being a hater. I'm explaining haterism to you, okay? Like, let me back this up and explain what's happening. And you can choose to retreat or you can go on and do what I had to figure out in my 20s and build the heart of steel. (laughs) Where you just continue on and you continue to be awesome. You recognize that in a lot of the cases, it's just going to be haterade that folks are sipping on. And it's weird that at five, I had to learn, had to talk about that, but that's when it begins. That's when all of us were told yeah. we're being too much or you're being bossy or you're just you're doing the most. 
Um, and boys have a whole yep. different issue. That's a whole other hour we could have. But yeah. with my daughter in particular, I have tremendously enjoyed this time of free from judgment, from um, free from judgment that is often what pushes us down. She's staring at me right now. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. Um, I know. They get to see me too. Talk about these things. I mean, they get to a good thing too is. The children in the pandemic, if they were fortunate, get to see their parents rocking out their little Zoom world. So my, my children have heard everything, and I do mean everything, that I have talked about over the last 18 months. And I've talked about some very serious issues. You know, when I'm talking to the New York Times um, about, you know, Black Lives Matter, about this great new book that just came out, Call and Response, and when we're having these conversations about the, the trajectory and the trauma they're involved and it, it's carried over to the dinner table. So I feel very fortunate to have gotten to have these moments and these lessons with them that I wouldn't have okay. otherwise, because usually you leave work at home and then you, and you leave work at work and then home is home. And for my husband and I, cause my husband's an actor, it's been great to intersect and see how our children are blossoming and flourishing because of that. Yeah, that's gorgeous. That is cool. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I want to tell everybody to buy The Real Santa. And I, I especially, like, I get to do this because this is the host I am. I White people, buy this book for your kids. Answer some questions. Like, there's no- Or there's if you no can't afford it, to. go to the library. It's at the library. You can get it on audiobook if you can't read. There are so many book options. I always like to say because we always have to remember that not everybody wants to plunk $20 down for a book. And that's totally okay. <laughs> but it is gorgeous, though. It is beautiful. And if you have the 20 bucks, Great like, you're going to make a kid happy. It's going to be excellent. <laughs> yep. Nancy Red, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. It was so great. I really appreciate you. you. I'm big fans of both of you. Zerlina, you know I'm a huge fan of you. I know, I love you too. Oh, and I'm so glad to meet you, Jess. And yes, we have to have a whole broad chat. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a little broad conversation before we started rolling. So we're going to finish that on air sometime. That's what we will do. For right now. We will do it. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Happy holidays. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.